Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition, the free edition, of WrestleNomics Radio here on the Voices of Wrestling Network. I am your co-host, Christopher Mukigana Harrington, joined from the great state, the Empire State, the Apple Pie State itself, New York, Mr. Brandon P. Howard Thurston II. Brandon, you are coming to us uh, all the way from New York with uh, some gold reflecting off your glasses there. I can see it all the way here in Minnesota, thousands of miles away. Is it true or is it not true that you are walking away a victorious champion of the masses today? It is true. I'm, I'm the holder, the winner of the Elite Apollo Memorial Cup. And uh, it's, it's there on my mantle. Only, only subscribers for the $250 tier can see <laughs> the cup of, uh, on, on my bookshelf here right behind us. But uh, yeah, we, uh, that was for Empire State Wrestling last night. We do this uh, six-way Royal Rumble-style scramble match, which uh, I, don't, I don't recall ever happening at the Buffalo Memorial Auditorium. But it's named after Lou DePaulo, the famous Buffalo Pro wrestler, the famous and restauranteur. The famous restauranteur. You can still go to Ilya DePaulo's restaurant in Blaisdell, New York, just south of Buffalo. The legendary wrestler. We, we named this uh, this match after him. And I won the cup. Now I get a title shot at the ESW Heavyweight Title, and. Uh, it was a it was a great time. It was a good night. Um, match went on last. The the other participants in it were let's see if I can remember them: Kevin Blackwood, Daniel Garcia, Rhett Titus, Sean Carr, and Kenny Dykstra from the Spirit Squad. Wow! And me. That is that is quite the uh, assortment of talent, both from Grapplers Anonymous and from uh, the ranks of OVW and WWE and Ring of Honor. Yeah. And Ring of Honor. I don't know where um, Red Titus originally uh, trained, but uh, the romantic touch, Red Titus, also CMLL veteran. Yes, I believe. probably. But yeah, it oh, was. Uh, we went on last, and uh, and Kevin Blackwood and, and Daniel Garcia were in it the most. I, I started, so it's like sort of Royal Rumble style, but it's pinned in submission. And I, I started it with Kevin Blackwood, and I lasted through the whole thing. So um, my body feels okay. I think I took some hard slaps, and my, my neck is kind of sore. For I forgot to put some icy hot on before we started recording here. But uh, no, we we went on last, um, and and that was the first time that the cup match has been put on the main event. We do this every year, but it was a it was it was a very special time. Um, it was very, I don't know, it was very emotional and, and very heavy for me to like have that match. The the last three were were Kevin Blackwood, Garcia, and myself, and like to have those last three guys who, who we helped train and we built from scratch um and to see them do as well as they do not just in in this promotion but throughout the country throughout the northeast and southern ontario they're doing really great things and to finally like have a moment i guess that was the first time i really got to wrestle garcia except for like a, a couple times like really early in his career and uh it was him and i last and uh i haven't seen i've seen some video clips that i just saw this morning but i haven't seen it but everybody's telling me it was great and putting it over hard and uh you sounded know, like a couple hundred people there maybe even five or six or seven hundred almost, people at the almost, event? almost 600 packed wow. it packed it into the frontier volunteer fire hall in niagara falls new york so and, which fire hall was it i i know there was some confusion about the fact that new york is apparently so unoriginal they've named two different places the frontier fire hall that are not the same place yes there always needs to be disambiguation about which frontier fire hall we are running the event at when we run at frontier fire hall but uh, we're we're well, at one of them. Certainly, it's very it's very reminiscent to me of of my days of upstate New York pro wrestling, where every event was held, and it would be we would always joke that the marketing campaign 
consisted of flyers on a password protected website that you had to then get handwritten directions from a yokel because there was no Google Maps. There's nothing. And you'd be like, how do you expect people to know they're supposed to go to this building, enter this code, go to the basement, walk around, bribe the homeless man and go in. And that's where you can watch uh, this one guy do a battle royale for 20 minutes on a Sunday at three in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. And yeah, that's how it was. And, and it would be shocking because then sometimes you'd go to one of these places and uh, Warpath's Fed would, would suddenly have like a hundred screaming little kids there. And you'd be like, how do these people know this is happening? How does anyone know this is happening? And of course, we, we're in the uh, the era of Facebook marketing now. Yes. So you just put a Facebook event up and you just, that's all the marketing you have to do because everyone wants to watch wrestling and, and they'll just find you, right? That's, that's what, and that's how you draw 600 people. <laughs> As Mookie yells at his dog. <laughs> you couldn't hear me that time. Though, <laughs> but I could see you. Uh, yes, I figured. Mookie's yelling more at his dog. But no, it's my other dog. It's the dog that does, never barks. So that was that was really weird that she would be the one barking. Um, but yes, Mookie's uh, uh, two, the Schnoodle and the Poodle, they're here with me as well to celebrate the giant cup. I wish you, everyone could see the, this enormous cup. It's taken up like a quarter of the, uh, the headspace yeah. for Brandon Howard Thurston. So congratulations, Brandon. And I know how, how exciting that is. It feels like some vindication when you're working on something for that long. And I just want to add in that right that Rhett Titus was in fact trained at the ROH school by mm. Brian Danielson. He was part of the very first class. He was seventeen. Wow! And he was training with Austin Aries and Brian Danielson. Wow! So, no, no, he's he's, uh, he's very good to work with, and so was Kenny. And uh, I've worked Sean Carr many times, so it was it was it was it was great. It was a good match. It was like one of those moments. Like so, we went on last, and I I won, and then I did a short promo afterward, and the crowd was very kind and very generous to me. And uh, I went around the guardrail and like, even though you, you told them what, what jerks they were and how they don't appreciate old school wrestling. What are you talking about? This, this was years ago. Can't you ever forget anything? And, uh, so I I shook a lot of hands around the guardrail and then I went to the back and, uh, it's like one of those moments where like everybody's waiting for you in the back and like, you know, I don't, I don't know how, how much we should get that. They, They were filming it. So this may appear like publicly eventually, but, but like, uh, Blackwood and Garcia are there and Garcia is just sobbing like, like he's my child and like everybody's hugging me and it was everybody's way too nice to me and it was it was a, a great 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 time well i like to say that without wrestlenomics i know it would not have happened uh basically the the boost from this podcast was able to give you the extra energy needed to win that match no doubt no i think like i think about this sometimes like when i'm doing training like i think that studying wrestlenomics helps me understand I think how to give better advice about how, like, I don't know, this whole idea. I think we were talking about it yesterday, and uh, we got like some, we had sort of a tweet conversation with our, our friend and listener, Rich, about how, you know, I, I think there's a way to look at, there's many ways to look at wrestling. There's at least two, like, there's an economic perspective to look at wrestling. If you're going to advise wrestlers on how to climb the economic ladder of wrestling, I think studying wrestlenomics and, for one thing, having a, a, an understanding of how the business is structured and who cares about what. You know, I think that it has informed me and it's made all of us better. But I guess the, the the point that I was I was getting at earlier is like that that match was like I felt like a I I was watching some of my matches from earlier this year and like I had you know not as good gear before and I got in better shape for it for at least this match and I I feel like I look better and I was performing better and not just because like I decided to but because the the community that we've started to create at Grapplers and in Buffalo has really improved and it's motivated me 
like, I'm supposed to be this teacher of these guys, but these guys who learn from scratch under under our training have become so good, and they've motivated me to become a better wrestler and a better trainer and a better person. And it's you know it's like one of the greatest things I've ever been a part of. Well, I think goal-based things are really important for anyone to kind of set something that they want to look forward to, especially when you get into your 30s, <laughs> is that <laughs> you have to kind of motivate yourself. And I used to actually say, like, the only motivation I ever had to get in shape was pro wrestling. Yeah. Like, that, I, I had no desire to get in shape. I don't know if I would work unless out. Unless it was for pro wrestling, because I was like, why should I bother working out? Especially... For me, it was never like, oh, I want to date. I want to do this or that. I was just like, no, if it's if it's a means to an end, it makes sense to me. Like, I've thought about getting better cardio just so I can do crazier improv. But that's like <laughs> that only motivation for me. You need cardio um, to, do, to do crazy improv? When I, The way I do it, yes. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do a very physical style of improv. Yeah, you sometimes. take bumps. Sometimes yeah. I do a very word style of improv, very wordy. But um, I actually returned to the uh, the improv ring this week as well. Did my, you? Uh, my, my duo, yeah. So I've been working with the same guy for about 18 years now, um, a guy named Adam Litz. And uh, the two of us have been a, a duo. We go by Minnesota Snow Job now that we're from – we're both from – he's from Pennsylvania. I'm from New York. We met in college. And so we, we call ourselves Minnesota Snow Job since neither of us are Minnesotans in any way. And uh, we, we thought Snow Job was the funniest G.I. Joe character ever. Um, and so we, we perform pretty regularly about – once a year <laughs> we sometimes will perform a lot but this year he's been taking a big improv uh hiatus so i had to talk him into doing a show with me and so we did we did one show this week and uh we were very well received and uh, it was kind of fun it was a little bit like a uh, wrestling where you know you've been out of it for a while and you come back and it's all the new kids and the new styles and and they don't really know who you are and you go up there and you do something and then afterwards they're like holy cow I've, I've never seen someone do that and it was kind of rewarding to be like yeah we still got those chops we still have those beats and do things a little bit different than the way other people are doing it and people were like, yeah, anytime you want to come back, please come. We, we'd love to have you. So it was really fun because I, I like to perform with Adam at least once a year. And so we were getting really close to hitting the one-year mark, and I wasn't going to have a show with him. So I got kind of nervous, but we were able to pull it off. So the streak continues. Uh, is this the, from the picture that I see of you, like you're, you're being lifted in the air by like someone's hands? Well, there's, there's two. There's one where like uh, I'm on top of a stage and my feet I'm, are like on his head. Yeah. And then that was from about a year or two ago. Okay. And then the most recent one, I'm almost sitting on his shoulders, kind of like I'm going to do a... Um, Doomsday device. Uh, not exactly that way. I'm more on his shoulder sideways. So it's more like you're going to do like the crazy arm bar roll like, uh, that they would do where if I kicked my legs out sideways, like the, uh, the, the Carpier type, like crazy flying, flying uh, head scissors. You're going to have to come to Grapplers and, and teach us that move. No, I don't know how to do that move. I okay. just know that's like the starting position for it. Okay. But anyway, so yes, we were, we were attacking the ceiling. I found a hole in the ceiling, so I was able to stand on a chair and stick my arm all the way into the ceiling. And that's all improvised? And yeah, it was part of the improv show, yeah. yeah. He, I mean, he, we, we know that we're going to do something pretty physical, because we always do. Okay. But uh, no, it was wow. all improv, yeah. Wow. And, and we've gone, what, 20 minutes now without talking about professional wow. wrestling it, in, a, in the way that people pay for us? 11. 11. 11. But that's okay. That's, that's what we do. And that's, we, keep it, we keep it real here on the free show. We keep it real on the premium show. And uh, we'll have some news about the premium show at the end of the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, I don't know if I really want to talk about that right now. But Brandon winning the cup is exciting because that means ESW, you're on the map. You got some indie talent. You, you were able to, to 
to promote and push, you you had Papa Shango there. You had Kenny from the Spirit Squad. You had Congo Kong from Impact. You had a lot of of combination of people. But on the flip side, you also had a lot of independent wrestlers we uh, did. going on there. Yeah, Godfather so that, was was very very kind, very sweet to work with, despite being sick. But he was he was a very nice man to work with. Um, but yeah, we had a, a lot of local wrestlers. This is what we were going to get into now. Like I, I've been hearing from some. Uh, indie promoters and i've been hearing just some discussion in general like among fans about how you know as things are are right now with the way that WWE is signing up a lot of talent as a as the point that i go to all the time is hey since something happened in late 2014 triple h's vision and philosophy on talent changed and he started to sign a lot more independent wrestlers and a lot more wrestlers who, who made their names in japan and so forth um now besides that I mean, obviously, Ring of Honor's out there, and Impact is out there, and now like MLW is out there, and uh, and and they're they're even signing people to contracts. So, I, just in the, in the case of ESW, say last night, it was very hard for ESW to secure talent, and to you know, there were some cancellations, and there had to be some replacements. It's getting harder and harder for for independent promotions to book names that are well known throughout the country, let's say, and to get them to actually to be confident that they're not going to cancel and have to cancel their booking because they have a higher priority and uh, there may even be a new promotion that's uh, about to start up that might even tie down more talent oh so you're talking about the the aew the all elite wrestling that uh the trademark filings came through this week and uh caused a lot of buzz i think it was wednesday tuesday night wednesday morning that um various reddit posts and message board posts and people on twitter and people uh noticed that a company with a, a mailing address in Jacksonville, Florida, had applied for a bunch of trademarks, including All Elite Wrestling, AEW, and um, some names like All All Out that made people really say, well, this is probably connected to the elite guys and the people that were working with All In mm-hmm. and, uh, and whatnot. So at the show in the weeks leading up to this, have you been hearing buzz about this? I think this connects to that SES scoop story from a few weeks ago where there was talk about the son of, of Shad Khan, Tony Khan, um, somehow starting some kind of professional wrestling organization, right? Yeah, we, we saw that story come out a, f- a few weeks ago now. And uh, it, the story was widely buried. I think, you know, the, the post that made it to Reddit was, I don't know, disputed. And I, I saw a lot of people, you know, make it sound like this was just, you know, made up news. Or some people believed it too and didn't discuss it seriously. On in- I, I, I seem to recall Reddit was even debating banning SES scoops as a whole, for, for unverified news that they would not be allowed to post links to them yeah. anymore. I think there, there was a proposal about like tiers of, of credibility and they would yes. be, they would be in the lowest tier. Uh, so every, everyone should apologize to SE scoops. Um, but, uh, but no, it's, um, and following that story, you heard from people. I remember Jason Powell is one. And now Dave Meltzer has written a lot about it saying, Oh, I'd heard rumors of this, or I'd heard inklings of this leading up to this. And a lot of people have just said it's a wait and see situation because we have to see if television happens. Otherwise, all you have is someone who's interested in doing something and they've taken a very small step in the larger pathway of creating a professional wrestling promotion. Yeah. The point that I've heard a lot of people raise and is worth repeating is that there have been many times since, since WWE won the war in 2001, there have been many times where there have been big players who've tried to get TV deals to do something big to become a big number two promotion or whatever you want to fantasize uh, this to be, um, but it won't be a big big deal 
until someone gets really serious TV. And by really serious TV, I guess I mean like not just Axis, because New Japan's on Axis, Lucha Underground's on El Rey, and Impact's on Pop TV. And Pop TV's in, what, 70-some-odd million homes or so? But it's still a pretty low-profile channel. El Rey is only in about half of the cable satellite homes. Access is only in about half of the cable satellite homes. So I guess what, what I'm saying here is it, if this is going to be a really serious player, it needs to be on a, on, a, on a good TV channel that's in a good 90 million homes because that's about the number of homes that the USA Network is in. Um, and it needs to be something that's going to, in, in this era, and maybe it will, it's something that's going to uh, provide lucrative TV rights for live programming. I ever tell you about the millionaire who contacted me about starting a Fed? <laughs> I, I don't know. Did you? Yeah. Yeah. No. Uh, so year, a couple years ago, somebody called me up out of the blue and said, hey, you, you know a lot about wrestling. I'd like to talk to you about it. And I looked up the guy and he he was his claim to fame was really weird. He had like helped write some books with a very famous author and he was the last person to see a very famous actor right before he died. So when you Google his name, you find all these articles about like so-and-so sees, um, sees this actor right before he dies in a car crash. And so I was like, well, that's weird. But, uh, the guy talked to me all about, and I, I'm not under an NDA or anything to talk about this, but he, he talked to me all about like he wanted to start a, a wrestling company in Vegas. And he was, it was basically going to be kind of like a, you know, kind of the Cirque Soleil of wrestling or something, or like the, like the Britney Spears of wrestling, where it's, it's the, the steady show. You go to Vegas and then you get to see a pro wrestling show here and I get all these legends and they'll be, they'll be wrestling. And of course, like I think Shane Douglas was like his right hand man. And it really struck me as one of those that like, um, you know, maybe the wrestler was, was possibly working the money guy. Mm-hmm. to try to do this and i remember saying to him at the time like the struggle is that a legends that the nostalgia movement doesn't last very long it's very hard to push on nostalgia yeah b we didn't create a lot of legends in the 2000s so what was in the 90s you had the impact of lots of guys from the 80s coming through so you had the savages and the hogans and the pipers and whatnot that you could bring them in in the 90s even though they had already done a generation of wrestling but they were still very highly recognizable and wcw could capitalize on that Mm -hmm. but when we were down to only one promotion in the 2000s for american wrestling there was a lot less of that ability to kind of say oh i'm gonna feed off your nostalgia on this guy and bring him back and so you could say maybe Jericho to a degree. He's a guy that kind of came up in that time. But a lot of those other people have kind of not been able to continue to compete. You know, Edge and Christian would be terrific legends today, but neither of them seem to be in shape to compete. Yeah, even the Hardys um, in, in their recent return to WWE appear to be on their last uh, physical run here. Exactly. The Hardys is another good example. I, I would argue Batista was probably one of the few legends made during that time and, you know, would still have some name value to him. And, uh, but it's tougher and tougher to even find the guys because the, the few of them that were around, you, you, maybe you had Goldberg in the nineties as the new star from WCW. And then in the two thousands, he did his WWE run and then he came back and did the nostalgia run now and did pretty well. So, you know, there, and Sting as the other guy who kind of, you know, kept his name alive in the two thousands and then was able to come in and do another nostalgia run. But I think that the production of legends on a, on a wide basis in the two thousands out of WWE was really reduced partially because the competition was down. Now I don't follow Japan close enough to be able to say, but I do feel like in Japan, there was a little bit more of that in the two thousands where you had a little bit more of guys that kind of made their name in the two thousands that today can still bank on those names 
and do things, be them, you know, the Tajiris or something else in the world where they, they continued to kind of create aspects of their life that were, were bigger than, than, than not. And also you had a lot of the MMA guys, you know, be able to do different things where they, they were popular in the two thousands and they can still live off that rep today. Um, but in W in, in the U S it's not so much. So one big difference in what I'm hearing about this AEW idea compared to maybe what this guy was pitching me so many years ago is that I do feel like the all in showcase the concept that there might be a next generation of talent that is connecting with a younger fan base that is enthusiastic and has some degree of authenticity to them. You know, whether or not it's really true, you know, people watch the show, people believe in what they're saying and they want a counter counterculture product. And, and in some ways, New Japan Bullet Club is huge, but the elite has begun to build their brand to the degree that Bullet Club is beginning to fade. And I feel like the elite is actually becoming more prominent here in the United States. Yeah, I think it's a, a smart thing if all elite wrestling is the name that's going to be used. I think it's a smart move to put the word elite in the name of the promotion. So this promotion has a clear tie to the buzz and the goodwill that the Young Bucks, Cody, maybe Kenny Omega have have built over the last couple of years there. That's really the charge that's leading whatever energy is happening around this, this bullet club, hot topic, all in uh movement. Well, um, on the flip side, it puts you in a precarious position because now you're tying yourself at the hip to this name and this brand. And, you know, imagine if you're Hulk Hogan, Hulk Hogan's micro wrestlers or something, and you don't have Hulk Hogan, you know, or Hulk Hogan's XFW or whatever it, it, you, you are in a place where you have to, you have to have those wrestlers as part of your brand to mean something. But the good news is it seems like there's some connection between the two groups, right? We've heard so much from them. It seems difficult to believe that this is going far in, in parallel without there being some coordination between those two groups. Mm. Yeah. There, there's a, they, they've suddenly become Jacksonville Jaguars fans. Yeah. Um, uh, that said, what I'd like to always point out to people is that we haven't heard anything from Tony Khan directly. We haven't heard anything from this all elite wrestling company directly. In fact, all that happened is that trademarks were filed in October. People noticed these trademarks the week before Thanksgiving or the week of Thanksgiving. I know how trademarks work and I can tell you they don't show up the day that they're filed, but they show up usually within a week or two weeks. I very strongly believe all of these trademarks were publicly accessible at the beginning of November and the middle of November, and this week. And so I don't think it's necessarily a function of that AEW was trying to release these news to have it break on the Wednesday before Thanksgiving and to be this big story this week. I think it was just more that that happens when the wrestling ecosystem happened to consume this story and start putting it through all these websites. Mm -hmm. So I, I can't say, I think a lot of times people are acting as if this was a press conference held by AEW and they came out and said, we're going to do this. This is who we are. This is our, our go-to-market strategy. Here's our plan. Here's what we're doing. Everybody come and judge us. And in fact, it's kind of the opposite, which is it, it seems like they're trying to operate very quietly and they're trying to get pieces aligned. And I think it's mostly speculation when people are trying to come up with exactly understanding who they want, what they're doing, what their, their go-to-market strategy is, who their partners are going to be, and so forth. Uh, I think the only thing we know is likely if Tony Khan is involved and Tony Khan's family is involved, they have a lot of money. Mm -hmm. And so it's not a situation where it's a Jeff Jarrett saying he's going to do this and you're going to say, hey, where's the $10 million going to come from? Um, because you could say 
a guy that owns the Jacksonville Jaguars, a guy that was bidding to buy Wembley Stadium, a guy that owns the the Fulham uh, uh, Premier League club in uh, London. They have a, a person who is a, a successful flex and gate owner and all the other technologies and things that, that we've seen connected to this family. They have the resources to do this. Now, the big question will be who wants to put their own money in? Uh, that's always a dangerous proposition. But uh, I, I would say... I think that gives it a lot more credence in some ways than even other names. And and also people keep saying, wait and see, wait and see. And I would strongly recommend that. But let's look at why some of these other deals didn't go through. Do you know why the Toby Keith deal didn't go through? Yeah, I was, I was, I was going to impact TNA. Right. I mean, I was going to raise this. Like, you can go through the, the history of – I mean, the, there there's a lot of cynicism and skepticism about this because who knows? You know, there have been a lot of people in the past like Jeff – like the Jared family or like Toby Keith. Or like Billy Corgan, who've tried to get big TV deals, and nothing's really come of it, right? Um, and those are some of those are the latter two are big names in entertainment, and uh, Jeff Jarrett's Jeff Jarrett, and uh, and they they didn't get a big TV deal, but maybe uh, somebody who's related to the sports world, uh, like the Jacksonville Jaguars, would be better able to get a serious TV deal. Well, I I do think there's that element number one, which is. Yeah, Toby and Billy are big names in the music world, and they might even know a lot about live event production. But I don't know if they have the sports connections that a family that owns an NFL team would have. So there's that element first. The next one I'd say is one reason the Toby Keith deal fell apart, as far as I can tell, was because Dixie Carter, who was the same person who sabotaged her Spike deal by refusing to fire Vince Russo when she said she fired Vince Russo, also refused to basically give the promotion to Toby Keith and step aside. And he, to his credit, seems like he was smart enough to say, I don't want to buy 60% of an asset and have 40% of a weight that's going to drag me down and, and, and cause me more headaches. I want to own and control this asset. And so whether you're, I, I think there was also a NASCAR driver at one time who was really interested. Maybe it was Hermie Sadler, maybe it was someone else, but they were, really interested in getting in the wrestling game and I know impacts done things with them. Um, but I think in all those cases, it comes down to control. And so the, the hardest thing in all of these situations is that you don't want to be in a situation where you feel that someone can pull the rug out from underneath you and you don't have control. And I think that the story of WCW teaches us that the story of WWE teaches us that, that it, sometimes it's very important that someone who is very powerful is able to control their own company Otherwise, they run the risk that at some point somebody's going to get fed up with them and either usurp them or undermine them or just say, you know what, I can do something else with my time and money and walk away the way that Turner did back mm -hmm. in the day. Um, so I think with Toby, part of it is, is just to say it's it's as if people sometimes pretend that promoters out there or, or I should say media out there, media conglomerates think that they want wrestling. I don't think they want wrestling. I think they want something good. And wrestling is competing with anything else that can also attract eyeballs. And, and, it's, so, and it's live or can be live. Yeah. So if, if it's fighting with sports, it's fighting with any other sport that's out there that could be a growing sport. And so 
you don't necessarily have a lot of, I think, wrestling companies or wrestling uh, media, media organizations that are saying, hey, I really want to put pro wrestling on my air. You have them out there saying, what can you deliver for me when it comes to this demographic and this area and for this cost and in this way and the production values will be this how and the merchandising is here and my company will get a, a benefit and the shoulder programming will help me here and I can cross promote my own things on the network here and and I can get a guaranteed deal and such and such. And when we look at what DAZN has done and ESPN Plus with MMA, I think what really sticks out is that in some cases, people are paying a lot more for this content, not because the content itself is going to generate lots and lots of money, but because it's part of an integrated strategy for what they want to do to promote their service. So DAZN doesn't actually think they're going to get this many people subscribing to their service just to watch this one MMA type footage, but rather it's part of the overall strategy to say, we are the key for you to get this kind of, of combat sports. You want to be part of DAZN, and this is one of the offerings that we have. Um, and I think ESPN Plus is fighting that same battle. And as the TV demographic ages and grays, and as cord cutting continues, these media conglomerates are looking out there to say, what makes me relevant in this day and age? I think HBO has done a terrific job of staying relevant in this day and age, where even though so many people are cord cutters and so many young people, they still say, oh, well, I subscribe to HBO because I really want to watch John Oliver. I really want to watch Veep and I really want to watch Game of Thrones and I really want to see this and I want to see that. And I think that's where they have really done a great job of bridging the gap between both being a premium uh, linear channel and being a subscription service and being relevant to people under 30 and people that are over 30. And, you know, there was a lot of talk about, oh, I think HBO is dropping boxing, you know, a couple uh, months ago. And I was just like, of course, they're dropping boxing. Do you think people under 30 give a crap about boxing if if Conor McGregor's not involved and Floyd May Mayweather's not involved? You know, it, it's it's one of those things where it's not really brand specific for them anymore. They move past it. Same way that, you know, Cinemax doesn't even have adult programming on it anymore because they made a they made a strategic shift where they're like, we're going to be action oriented. And we're going to do that instead. And because I think they just kind of said that the writing's on the wall. We're not going to compete with online pornography. So why be a, a premium channel that does that? We're going to be action programming. Mm -hmm. And I think that's really interesting to see some of these, um, you know, premium channels kind of re recast what they think is relevant for their brand to be relevant in this day and age. And I think media conglomerates are going through that same argument. And so part of it is to say, Nobody wants pro wrestling. People want things that deliver eyeballs. People want things that deliver certain demographics and people want things that do it at a cost effective rate and possibly want to see if it will, will work with some other kind of co-branding strategy that they have for launching their service or launching their, their platform or just seeming like they're relevant in this day and age. Mm -hmm. So <clears throat> how does that relate to the prospect of AEW? What are you saying? We don't know. We don't know what they're doing until we hear what they're doing. And the good news is, if you don't know what you're doing, you can actually choose different paths until you decide, I'm going to invest $10 million in buying cameras and I'm going to buy a stadium and we're going to have the new impact zone and, you know, I'm going to print up 10,000 t-shirts. You probably have some options there about which direction you go in based on what offers are on the table for you. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, every business, Small business, not every business, but most small businesses lose money in their first year mm -hmm. because as great as your idea is, it costs a hell of a lot to get you off the ground. And so the idea that, you know, it's if you talk to Dave Meltzer and you said to them, Dave, what is the number one lesson that comes from people that try to start an upstart promotion? 
And I think he would tell you it's patience is that when you look at what happened to Eddie Einhorn or someone else going all the way back to the seventies, what happens is they start to see losses, they get panicked and they run. And that, you know, a, you don't want to double down always if you're seeing losses, but on the flip side, you have to walk into this with a long-term strategy that says, this is how much I'm willing to put on the line before I have to walk away. And in some ways, I feel like that's what happened with impact again and again and again, right? That the, the Carter family said, this is how much I'm willing to lose. And then the other backers like, like Corgan and people came in and said, this is how much I'm willing to lose. And everybody just kind of put up their number and walked away. And in some ways, that is a good business principle is you have to know your limits. You have to make a decision about when is the right time to invest and when is the right time to walk away. So I, I think the other thing for AEW is that hopefully they have the ability to pivot based on what they have going for them right now. I don't know whether this disclosure of the news is helping or hurting them in the marketplace, because honestly, they have chosen to be pretty quiet. You know, the the um, the elite loves to drop their kind of wink, wink, nod, nod hints about what's going on, but they haven't outright said what they're doing. You know, I, I more than a few people noticed when Cody Rhodes made a big deal about becoming a Jaguars fan at the beginning of the year. And uh, I just watched one of the being the elite videos. And I think you can see Nick Jackson is there sitting in a Jaguars hoodie, too. So, I mean, it, it, the, 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 the tidbits are out there. It's not like it's been completely hidden. But on the flip side, there's a lot of questions left to be had. And I would say that's not even necessarily up to the elite to decide. Right. I, I think the business itself needs to decide what they're going to go and do. And I think it's just fun speculation for all the clickbait sites to come up with all these stories. You know, even today I saw like 10 stories, the five athletes that AEW is trying to sign from WWE and whatnot. And I just thought, wow, I, I wonder how much of that is real and how much of that is either the guys themselves are making it up or the people fantasy booking. Yeah. I mean, to do some brief history about what has allowed this to, to come to be, um, Cody Rhodes and both the Young Bucks and Kenny Omega, right? The their contracts are all expiring around the same time in January. And uh we went to All In in Chicago and I remember commenting and probably other people did too that this felt like kind of like a pilot or like a sales ad to say, "Hey, look what we can do. We can sell out a 10,000 seat arena and we can do it with decent production." And uh it can And there was talk talk at the time. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but there was no. talk at the time that Sinclair if it got that Tribune merger was going to use this kind of as a WGN pilot. And mm -hmm. that was the whole idea behind this was this was kind of a ring of honor Sinclair all in pilot of some sort. Mm -hmm. And and speaking of Sinclair, it's, it's looking less and less like Cody and the bucks are going to stay with ring of honor. And uh, I, I think, I don't know if we talked about it at the time, but like, I think one of the things that ring of honor could have, or maybe should have done was, uh, Give give Cody and the Young Bucks some sort of creative control, or put them, you know, in in a, in a more I don't know, like in a, in a more creative role in in uh, in Ring of Honor. Considering look at what they're doing with being the elite, and look at the buzz they've they've been able to create with that. Um, maybe a a Ring of Honor that is more led by those talents who who seem to have good creative drive and probably could get the trust of the other workers around them. Uh, wh why not give them some sort of producer role? with Ring of Honor and uh, just continue to boost that business even more. I know we saw uh, Ring of Honor actually get brought up on the Sinclair conference call most recently, and it was sort of you know hyped up about, wow, look, we're, we, we're going to sell out, uh, or we already did sell out Madison Square Garden, and it's uh, you know we got the strong grassroots following, and there's even more for us to do there to be right beside WWE. Um, yeah, and, and you said that yourself, actually, at one point. You said, why doesn't 
Ring of Honor just make the Bucks a booker yeah. Yeah. to try and revitalize what their brand is. I did. <laughs> Why don't they? <laughs> and, and you know, it, it, so this suggests that, you know, maybe Ring of Honor, you know, who knows what date they found out that these guys were or weren't signing because they had contracts with Ring of Honor and, and Cody and people have made it so, very clear that they weren't going to resign. And, and it um, looks like... And Ring of Honor's in a, a tough place because they, they have the New Japan relationship. Yeah. And, and if, but, this, if this happens, if the, this AEW thing happens, who who's, who's stands to lose the most? WWE? Not really. Uh... Ring of Honor is, is the one who stands to lose the most. They're, they would be the one who are who would be losing the valuable talent that they stand to lose. And um, you know, WWE has a ton of talent, and they they'll they'll live or they'll live and be a giant regardless whether they get the Young Bucks and Cody Rhodes and or Kenny Omega or whoever or not. But uh, it, but if Ring of Honor loses the Bucks, Cody, and access to Kenny Omega, that would really hurt them in terms of if for one thing live attendance. We we see how well those. Ring of Honor live shows do when they include the New Japan talent. We see, you know, I think they do better as well when you've got the Young Bucks. And, like, imagine a Ring of Honor that doesn't have at least those four guys. Uh, what, what's it going to look like? And who are they going to, are they going to replace them with anybody? Is there going to be free money for them to make some other big signing? Like, it, Ring of Honor is the one who stands to sort of lose their space in, in this wrestling media ecosystem if, if AEW does happen, I think. Yeah, so let's let's go through um, what I call the pro wrestling landscape. Uh, this yeah. was a, a thing you and I worked on to kind of just think about this as a, a question, which was basically, what does the biggest companies of the world look like and who is the number two company in the world? So WWE, there is no doubt in anyone's mind that a company that can do 900 million plus is by far the biggest professional wrestling company in the world. They... Um, you could argue that probably UFC is actually much more profitable than WWE is today. Uh, the new TV deal for WWE, it will depend a lot on how they invest that money and how they decide to structure their deals, right? We don't really know what it's going to look like in the future, except for to say they have a lot of upside. And from a, a market cap valuation, they, they probably are getting at and above w, or UFC's levels at the time it's sold. Um, it's, it's always going to be a question of, you know, when you look at how successful they were with some of the Connor promotion and the, the UFC pay-per-view that did what, like $170 million, uh, just a few months ago, you could argue UFC probably still has an advantage in certain promotional aspects, but what WWF or WWE has between things like the Saudi Arabia deal and their WrestleMania weekend, they, they have kind of this proven ability to draw and they're running Oh gosh, what is it? Like 315 shows in North America, another 60 some shows in international, and probably almost 200 shows on NXT. Yep. So they're running 500 plus shows a year, which just dwarfs any other promotion in America and mostly in Japan. Possible uh, there's probably in some in Mexico. Yeah can compete, but that that's very different scale in terms of the revenue and can compete for average attendance too. Probably. We'll talk about that. Uh, so what do they have? They have an OTT service. They have their own OTT service. And this is going to be a trend that we're going to see as we talk about each of these promotions. So they have the WWE Network, which is a standalone niche service that has not been updated in about five years. You know, the last time they really did a major launch on it was February 2014. It's, it's been updated with content, but uh, but the structure is the same. Yeah. yeah. And I, I talked about this on Rich Fan Show on the, the PW Torch uh, deep dive yesterday. 
And one thing we talked about is how crappy the interface is for the network when it comes to searching for things. I should be able to say, hey, I really want to see all the Ricky Steamboat versus Macho Man Randy Savage matches. And I want you to show me uh, the different the lengths that the matches are and let me choose between them in chronological order. And I want to see when they're in tag matches and singles. I can't do any of that on the way that it's set up on the network today. And that yeah. is really a, a yeah. disappointment that I have to use a secondary resource like cage match half the time to try and figure out how I find a show and then link to that show and actually go watch yeah. the one I want. And nobody's, nobody's going to do that, but you. Yeah. Nobody's going to do that. And I just match. watched a great, uh, I was going to say steamboat match. Uh, is that on the network? From February of 1987 from the, uh, the Maple Leaf Gardens. I do not know if this match is actually on the network and available to watch, but, uh, I did a, a daily motion link. Hmm. It's, uh, uh, from February 15th, 1987. It's terrific. And so go to Mukigana and, uh, watch this match and shout out to my buddy Hank, who, uh, sent me a note just out of the blue, just kind of asking about it. Hmm. Um, so that, that's one aspect of it is WWE. They have their own thing. They obviously have their giant TV deals. They have international deals. Uh, they, they average over 5,000 a show North America, probably 5,400 a show for international and less than probably 800 a show for NXT, especially if you take out the takeovers, which are disproportionately big. Then you go into the rest of North America. You have Ring of Honor, you have Impact, you have MLW, you have the remnants of Lucha Underground, you have Aero Lucha, which might be coming to pop TV next year. And you have kind of the super indie like a WWN, which would be Evolve and Shine and FIP. Those are the biggest ones I can think of in terms of North American big heavy hitters. Uh, do you think I'm missing anyone there? I mean, it, it depends on where you want to draw the arbitrary line. Um, but I can't think of anyone who's bigger than the names I just listed. As far as, as shows, you know, as far as promotions that are on big distribution platforms, W Ring of Honor, Impact, MLW being on BN Sports, Lucha Underground on, on El Rey, uh, Aero Lucha Pop possibly on Pop TV next year. I mean, WN has that W connection. Um, and then I, I, I would start naming just the super indies after that, PWG, um, beyond, beyond AAW, AIW, maybe CZW. Yeah. So, what what what's the other commonalities here? Well, you got Ring of Honor. They have the Honor Club. What about That's Championship different. Wrestling from Hollywood? <laughs> yeah, or Ring Warriors. You know, uh, another yeah, your, your promotion that got on WG in America, but made no buzz. Thus proving it's not about your distribution platform. It's about your entire product portfolio and delivery system. It's it's you know, what it's talent plus distribution. Yeah, and and ability to access outside of that distribution system. So like. When when I posted that crazy picture of the referee, it's not clear if it's a botch or there's part of the ongoing storyline of the weekend, but uh, of him going one, two, and then just kind of falling over like he'd been mm -hmm. shot. Um, when it made it to Botchamania, they used my tweet because absolutely nobody else had had a way of watching the show except for the one time it was aired live and I happened to tape it and and put it on my Twitter. So, so your um, bootleg, bootleg tweet is, was their greatest distribution platform yeah. so far. And, and I think that's a, a strong thing to say that it's more about like, it's not just when do you air, but what other way can I watch you? Can I watch you on Hulu? Can I watch you on YouTube? Can I watch you on whatever the platforms are? Mm -hmm. So, uh, Ring of Honor has their Honor Club. Uh, Impact has their Global Wrestling Network. MLW has both their Pivot Share, their MLW.tv, their YouTube. Uh, Lucha Underground for a period of time was on Netflix. It's still on El Rey. If you get it as a, a subscriber channel, you can watch it on demand. Um, and then you have Club WWN going on for WWN. And Aero Lucha 
has had like two tapings. So I don't even, they, they don't really count. Oh, they've actually but, done but, tapings. Okay. But what they all have as a commonality is the challenge that they're all niche services. Yes, you get more pro wrestling when you log on to those pro wrestling sites, but you're not getting something outside of that ecosystem. And I think that's a real challenge is that essentially you're asking people, you're competing for the dollars to say, do you want to subscribe to WW Network or do you want to subscribe to Honor Club? And that's kind of the calculation. No one ever really says, do you want to subscribe to Netflix or do you want to subscribe to the network? Because they don't think of those as being the same thing. And even WWE has kind of changed their marketing to start referring to themselves as like the, the premium sports entertainment, you know, channel. Like they, they talk about themselves and put them in the category of ML, MLB TV and WWE network and DAZN and ESPN plus. Like that's where they want to like niche themselves is in that, that dedicated niche area and that, you know, that's just the reality of today. And so I do think that one way that you can differentiate yourself and break out is if anyone can actually find their way onto one of these major sports services that is not a niche service. Yeah, I, I, I guess the advantage of having a direct consumer service is that you don't have to share so much of the money with your parent, you know, with the... With the with the Netflix that you're a part of. It's, it's one thing to sell the rights of your content to Netflix. It's another thing to have your own service where you take the bulk of the money. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's the difference between flat fee and license, it, a licensing fee, a flat fee and, and a per, per user payment. The, the flip of it is always going to be what's the friction? What's the hassle? What's the, what's the gain to you? Because if, if you have somebody else who's handling all of the back end, that's a lot of money you save and not having to run that back end yourself. And that's what now, MLBAM is doing for WWE, right? And that's what their pivot share is doing for a lot of wrestling companies right. in the world now. Um, pivot share, as we remind everyone, that was bought by Chicken Soup for the Soul company mm-hmm. you know, as one of the big aggregators. I could also throw Flow Slam on here and say Flow Slam was another example of kind of an, a, an idea for something that was actually a more broadband sports service. Cause not only could you get the flow slam, couldn't you also watch other subscription things on the flow sports uh, channel? When it started, the first offering was here's one price point just for flow slam. Here's another price point for the entire flow sports package, including flow slam. Yeah. And, and to a degree, some of these might be out here to basically exist as a uh, MMA opportunity. If you are an upstart service and you say, I really want to put 2000 hours of footage on my network and I need 2000 hours, I would go to TNA tomorrow and just say, Hey, can I buy your library? How much is that going to cost me? And to a degree, I think that's what flow sports uh, model was, is that they were not only trying to get, of course, the, the per user money of everybody wants to see their kid in the marching band competition, but they were also trying to say, Hey, when the ESPN plus launches, they're going to want all this hours of footage and I can sell it to them for this amount of money and I can recoup all my losses really quickly. You, you envisioned flow sports and maybe still today, cause I mean, it's still around flow slam isn't, but all the flow sports verticals are, you envision it as like a flow sports selling itself to an ESPN and becoming like an, an add on on ESPN plus or something. Or just, yeah, not even an add-on, just existing. Like, it's just this part of the part library of the package. you can access. Okay. Yeah. And, and to me, I see it like a startup. A lot of startups' desire is not to become a behemoth, a Facebook or a Google. Their their goal is to be acquired by a Facebook or a Google. And so I see some of that as that same idea, which is, can I just get acquired? Can I just find a way to be desirable enough to somebody else who has a bigger platform and a bigger idea that they're going to say, hey, what's the per hour payment system I'm doing here? And the thing with WWE is, yeah, they just bought WWC's library, yeah, the world, uh, uh, 
worldwide council wrestling or worldwide wrestling council or in in, from Puerto Puerto Rico, Rico, but they notoriously underpaid for all their libraries. And, you know, when Bruce Tharp was negotiating with them over that Houston library stuff, in the end, NWA launched their own service and just licensing that footage rather than selling it to WWE because WWE was paying a laughably low number, according to him. Mm-hmm. And I think that's that's a, a statement, which is WWE knows that they're in this. They're, they're the behemoth in this, right? They got the 1.6 million subs with 1.2 of them being domestic. Uh, that says a lot compared to, say, New Japan World, which maybe has 100,000 to 200,000 with maybe 25 percent or more interna- uh, international coming non-Japanese speakers. But still, that's not a lot compared to WWE Network's numbers. And everybody else here is a tenth of even what New Japan's probably sitting at. Uh, and we know that from the Flow Slam numbers, which were what, under 5K, we think, in, in terms of like actual consistent subscribers? Something like that, yeah. It was pretty low. Yeah. So it, it's one thing that I think is just really interesting is to see how many of these different services are out there. And if you want to be the mega fan, unfortunately, this is what we always talk about, which is the mega bundle has still got to be coming at some point. Is it's frustrating is if you want to be the super fan, you got to subscribe to 10 different services. And this, this is true in other countries too. There's an A, AGWP, uh, AJPW.TV for all Japan. There's the RPW for, you know, RevPro. There's the, the, um, all the stuff that's going on with, um, who, what's another one? Uh, New Japan World, like I said before. There's the demand progress. And then there's the, the Dragon Gate service. That's its own little service. And then you have the challenges also with, uh, Mexican wrestling. AAA and CMLL, which you can sometimes see AAA on Twitch and you can sometimes see CMLL on YouTube, but it's not always clear exactly what the best service is to see their entire library of footage. I, I guess the, the the question, the challenge that I have is, are there enough of those super fans who want to watch that many varieties of wrestling? I do believe that there are a strong number of fans who want to watch some form of, let's call it alternative wrestling, just wrestling that's not uh, WWE, but are there enough of them who want to watch multiple brands so that a bundle service is even useful to them. Um, well, and, and the best the best market share number is going to be when WWE introduces its higher tier. Yeah, you can just go and say, okay, the number of people that are paying seventeen ninety nine a month so they can watch NXT UK and vote in the Hall of Fame poll, that is the number of hardcore wrestling fans that you is the addressable marketplace in the world. You know, and then you can kind of go down from there. But and, I, I think NJ uh, New Japan World has really I think opened the eyes of some people. Because you, if you have 100,000 subscribers, there's some viability to your model. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that does give you some opportunities there. But I think the challenge is that when you have Honor Club and, and Global Wrestling and MLW, like it, you're, you're splitting the hair six ways at a certain point. And, and, and it's uh, getting harder and harder. As, like, as far as the, the smaller brands, too, like I don't know if – like I feel there's so much stuff going on that we don't even talk about or we're barely aware of it. But like if you look at the some of the pivot share services like High Spots Wrestling Network or Demand Progress, uh, pivot share allows you to – allows individual users or you know content providers to collaborate with each other. And we, we don't need to get into like how this works and how it pays out. Like, But Demand Progress, for example, which I still subscribe to, it they're collaborating with what? smash and aaw and uh the two promotions in australia which are mcw and epw and a, and a few others so you get in on a kind of a delay like a one month delay as opposed to if you subscribe directly to that promotion service but like these are kind of improvised bundles already but like are they blowing up the world i i don't know i think demand progress probably does well maybe it maybe 
I mean, high spots network can probably demand progress. I would guess are the two strongest pivot share services. But, uh, when we talk about like, oh, what if bundles happen? There, and on a, at least among small brands, there are small brand bundles that I don't know if we're even aware of, you know. And and think about when WWE Network, if they do launch a higher tier, where suddenly you can get ICW or Progress or other things that are already WWE affiliated, mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to think how many more people are able to finally access this than were ever using the pivot share type model to access it. And two, whether or not it's going to kill some of that pivot share model where, you know, if they start pulling the stuff off of of those services or whether there's going to be kind of dual ownership. It was flabbergasting to most people when Progress made a deal to I'm sorry, not Progress, but uh, WWN at the time Evolve uh, made the deal to be on Flow Slam rather than being on the WWE Network. That was really interesting to see that kind of independence. A lot of people didn't think that could happen at the time. So. Um, just goes to say there's a lot, lot to happen here. And I, I think it'll be very interesting to say, I list all these companies. I list, look at all their TV deals. I look at all their, their ability to draw gates. And yes, from a individual country basis, WWE is not number one in Mexico. WWE is not number one in Japan. New Japan is the biggest of Japan. Uh, in Mexico, I would think CMLL would definitely be the bigger of the two with, with triple a and, and then maybe the crash or something else is the number three promotion, but there is no real viable number two because everyone falls somewhere. TNA really, to me, seems like a holding company where you're looking to try to find somebody who wants to either buy your library or buy all your assets because you're just trying to be cost conscious. And if you're not trying to be cost conscious, explain to me why the hell EC3 and Bobby Lashley were let go so easily out of their contract could take all their IP and walk over to WWE. Mm-hmm. Then Lucha Underground kind of seems like it's run its course. It had some buzz, had some interesting presentation aspects, but in the end, never really took off as a, a viable model. And in some ways, you could say tested the 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 limits of stretching credibility in terms of the professional wrestling marketplace and saying, what is it that fans want and what if fans maybe don't want? And at the same time, didn't strike while the iron was hot. They weren't running house shows. They weren't being able to really say, you know, we'll give you an authentic presentation of Spanish talent, of, of, of Hispanic talent in a way that has not been done in America for a very long time. Um, yeah, I think there's definitely uh, an opportunity for Lucha Underground to run live events in 2016, roughly. Yeah. And I mean, they ran a few. They ran a handful in Texas, but and they've done a couple of these, you know, Impact versus Lucha Underground tapings in, in Mexico and other places and even non, but in the end, they got a couple stars over, but in some ways those stars have begun to eclipse the entire brand. Yeah. It's, it's done a lot for Pentagon Jr. or whatever he's going by now. Yeah. Um, it's kind of done something for Jeff Cobb, Matanza, but you know, different character. Yeah. And, and the dragon guy, uh, whose name eludes me. Drago. Drago. Yeah. Drago. He's fan, you know, like there's no way you don't see Drago and you're not immediately just taken with that i remember showing watching triple mania and drago was on there and i with the flamethrower and i just showed it to my wife and she's like oh my god what is that like that's the kind of reaction you want in some of wrestling is you want someone to say that guy right there what's he doing what's his story i'm interested in that and you know whether that's a giant bodybuilder whether that's a a high flyer whether that's just a a charismatic guy you know even like a matt riddle where like the way he acts and the way he is, he's the full package that he stands out. And someone says, what's this guy's deal? What's going on with this guy? Yeah. But it's, um, done, a, it's, it's done a lot to like, I, I didn't know who Pentagon Jr. was. Probably only hardcore Lucha fans and Lucha, Lucha fans who are, you know, living in Mexico knew who Pentagon Jr. was. And now he's one of the, the, the top U.S. indie stars that there is. 
Yeah. And so, you know, I can't, I can't call any of those a viable number two. Ring of Honor is so dependent on their New Japan connection to remain completely relevant in the ecosystem that they're in. You know, Jay, Jay Lethal just was announced as resigning his contract. So they have some people. It's not that there's no one that works for them. They have an incredible legacy. You know, we're, we're talking about a company that's been around for 16 plus years now. Um, but the challenge is going to be that Sinclair only wants to invest in them to a certain point. And so Sinclair gives them enough money to put on a television show, but they want to do it basically in such a way that they can just be a syndicated television show. And when you don't have, have continuity about where you're being shown, how you're being shown, and what exactly are you driving towards, that makes it harder and harder for you to be relevant. And the big question I think that New Japan's going to have is who are they going to partner with? Is Harold May a different kind of leader? This was a question I, ans I answered for Rich Vaughn yesterday, which is to say, we have no idea what Harold May might do when it comes to this new world, because historically Japanese promoters were pretty darn loyal to their partners, even in the dying days of those companies. And yet Harold May has always been someone who was, was rumored to basically be interested in young talent and kind of shaking things up for the purposes of turning around companies. Yeah. And I, I would say, let's think about the last few years and what, what, are, what's the biggest contribution that ring of honor has made to the worldwide wrestling industry in the last few years. I think it's kind of like being a distribution platform for New Japan. New Japan wouldn't be as strong. It's not the only reason, but it would a big reason why New Japan is as strong now with uh, non-Japanese speakers, especially in the United States, is because they've had such a partnership with Ring of Honor, which did have some brand strength already and co-promoted and exposed stars like Okada Tanahashi. Uh, and and there's zero chance in my mind that New Japan would have ever booked the Madison Square Garden show right. without Ring of Honor's involvement because, and this is a very important point I've been trying to make, WWE is very litigious. And I don't mean that in the sense that like they uh, are great at winning lawsuits. I mean it in the sense that a lot of people don't have the pocketbook to absorb the hundreds of thousands of dollars in lawyer fees that can be involved with fighting a lawsuit. And so they'll back down from WWE very quickly. And on the flip side, the few people out there that have a parent company with deep pockets that is willing to fight them, that makes a big difference. So when it was Turner versus uh, Titan, they had the pocketbooks to fight each other on this stuff. When it's Sinclair versus WWE, they have the pocketbooks to fight it. And that makes a big difference there. And so that helps New Japan out a lot where when WWE flexes its muscles and tries to say, hey, MSG, I don't want you booking the arena out. Sinclair has the guts to go back and say, no, we'll write a legal letter. We'll say that you guaranteed that we could get the show. Tell us why we can't have the show. We'll give you the money today. And I think that's going to make a big player here is that you really want to have somebody who's got the, the might to basically say, I'm willing to fight it. And that's where most indies are going to cower and back down to a degree. Impact through Anthem has a little bit of that. And we've seen them actually flex their flex their muscles a few times where they've said, hey, you can't mess with talent when they're under contract with us. Hey, you can't do this. Hey, you can't do that. And in some ways that that has made a difference. And so I do think that that's the one element that that Sinclair has brought to the relationship is that they have kind of smoothed the waters of giving people a little bit more credibility about what does it mean to fight with WWE if you say, hey, WWE, you're not acting in the right faith. So the Ring of Honor relationship has been great for New Japan. Uh, I think it's elevated. It's helped elevate New Japan's status in the world and among wrestling fans worldwide. Uh, in the last few years, I mean, and, and, and Ring of Honor itself has benefited from having the New Japan talent. But who, who are the stars that Ring of Honor itself has built in the last few years? 
it's it's been fewer and far between. You could say the Bucks to a degree because mm-hmm. they, they, they might, actually were who they might lose by January. Yep. Um, and and you could also say that you know Cody Rhodes, as part of being in Ring of Honor, has made a big mm-hmm. uh, transition. Who they might lose uh, by January. I think Dalton Castle has gotten over quite a lot yep. in a way that he never would have gotten over. Uh, he never did get over anywhere else and, and became very relevant. So there's Dalton Castle. Uh, I don't want to say it's a shell of himself, but um, unfortunately his, his injuries and his recovery here has, has kind of hampered his ability because he had such an intense style. And in some ways he's getting overshadowed by people like Jeff Cobb, who's going to be coming in and doing kind of a similar super powerhouse style, but is a much, much bigger guy. And of course, with a ton more credibility, uh, being that he's a former Olympian. Yeah. And none of this is to say that there's not good talent in Ring of Honor, but where's the star creation? Um, I don't know if I have great star creation, but you could say the same about uh, WWE and things like that in some cases, yep. uh, that that they haven't necessarily been the best at star and, creation and either. And WWE can be comfortable there because they're already at the top of the mountain, well above everybody else. Yep, that's very true. So, I think that's the challenge. And, you know, in some ways, I would love to hear more from Joe Coff and other people about what their vision is because, you know, trying to run this big MSG show is really going to be a test of them because they're advertising it mostly on New Japan talent and they never actually explicitly were able to say, yeah, Kenny Omega is going to be on the show. Yeah, the Young Bucks are going to be on the show. And so they're going to be placed placed with quite a, a conundrum when a lot of people are going to be there saying, hey, is this the show I thought I was getting? Even though it was never explicitly advertised, yeah. there's a lot of people out there who seem to think that they were going to get Okada Omega at, at Madison Square Garden on WrestleMania weekend, even though no one ever said that's what was going to happen. Yeah, And, and let me add to that. I was kind of jumping around. But um, not, not only is WWE, they're in a comfortable position, but they're super protected and they're super way above everybody else. But they're the ones who are eating up the town. They live at the top of the food chain. And Ring of Honor does not live at the top of the food chain. They're... They're a company that can be, uh, you know, that can be plucked of their talent. And WWE has enough money to not be in that position. Or, you know, Sinclair has money, but they're not going to necessarily prioritize it for Ring of Honor. Yeah, I, I completely concur. And that's why I say there is no number two. Because um, the other half of it, I'd say, is that I know people hate this comparison, but NXT is the number two. And the reason NXT is the number two is because I do think that the next person that comes in the game here isn't actually fighting with WWE. I think they're fighting with NXT because WWE is your dad's wrestling. NXT is, is, is the younger generation's wrestling, right? Like we see that where people will say, I don't like WWE, but I like NXT. And they feel like the cool indie stars are going to NXT and they do cool stuff there. And, and that's going to be the real challenge for them is to say, you know, A, NXT is draws maybe $30,000 gates, which, you know, most indie promotions would kill for, but I can guarantee you, uh, WWE signing up what 140 people in developmental is spending a lot more than thirty thousand uh, dollars across the. the I, whole I shows challenge. That doing. I challenge all of our listeners out there to sit down with their dads and watch uh, a WWE pay per view, and then show your dad a, uh, a an NXT takeover and ask him which one he likes best. That's true, but that's why I say like I feel like what you're competing with is. That's the difference between competing with a, like an old game show and competing with a new game show, where one of them, you could say, that's the tried and true standard, and it's always going to have a place. And the other one, that's the newest innovation, and that's the new new generation of where we're going, and it's more important that you start fighting for that. So um, with that in mind, with that in mind, uh, that is my thoughts on kind of the pro wrestling landscape today. 
and where we are with with things. And so the AEW, there's a lot of unanswered questions, and I just am not comfortable enough to start saying, oh, this is what's going to happen. This is what they're doing. This is a good idea. This is a bad idea. Because as far as I can tell, they've invested some money into some trademarks, and they've talked to a bunch of wrestlers about moving forward with a promotion. And that's all that is publicly really known at this time. And I think there's a really good bio of Tony Khan and and kind of a discussion of saying, hey, he's a big wrestling fan. And he's been reading The Observer for 20 years. And it would not shock me in the slightest to know that maybe Tony and Dave have actually had conversations about this. To say that, you know, that's part of the narrative too, is that wrestling media loves a juicy story like this. They love the idea of a competition. And so that's really good. But in the end, that doesn't pay the bills. You know, it's a very expensive undertaking. I remember that article that you and I discussed a few months ago on the entertainment and sports lawyer, all about independent contractors written by Jamie Sharp from 2005. And one of the sections there, he speculates in 2005, it would take upwards of $50 million to start a new promotion. And I don't think he's far off there. I would guess it's 50 million to a hundred million dollars. And that number might sound ridiculously high, but I honestly think if you start thinking about how expensive it is to tape television, and I don't know the true number, but if I would even say, let's say the true number is about half a million dollars. And I knew I did, I did a regression once on my blog where I guessed some number for TV for WWE based on the number of TV tapings they did. Let's just say it's half a million, 52 weeks a year, half a million, that's $26 million. That's a lot of money you're pouring into just television before you've paid for talent number one. Or, or offset it with anything else. Hmm. So that's a lot of money to spend. And that's why a lot of these promotions don't do 52 weeks of taping. They do 12 weeks of taping or 10 weeks of taping and they do double shots because it's so much cheaper if you can just record four hours and turn it into two shows rather than 52 shows. So we don't know what AEW is going to do either. But all in all, I think if you want to be viable in this day and age, you got to be able to come up with 25 to $50 million. And I don't think a lot of people are willing to do that. Because otherwise, if you just want to exist in the pro wrestling sphere, take your $5 million or $10 million and go buy PWG and go modernize PWG's distribution system and go be the darling of the indie scene. Because that still is out there. That still exists. And there seems to be some pretty good minds behind it about spotting talent and trends. But the challenge is going to be, what do you do to scale it up? Because I don't think AEW can exist as a three times a year um, all-in type promotion and be a full-scale gig. That's great. I think that can be viable. I think that can be profitable. But that's not going to keep guys entertained for the other 48 weeks of the year. So that challenge of moving from four times a year to 52 weeks a year or whatever the number is, maybe it's not going to be 52. Maybe there'll be an off-season. We don't know anything about AEW's model. So it's just to say there's options right now. But TV probably plays the biggest role in it because I, I have a hard time coming up with $26 million in live gate unless Saudi Arabia says to me, hey, I'm really disenfranchised with WWE. What do you want to do? What are you going to put up today? Um, so that's big time wrestling. TV distribution, big streaming platforms. How about, how about my world of small independent wrestling in a world what, where... What do they need? What do they need? They need... They need talent that uh, that draws people to buy a product, whether that's a ticket or whether that's a, a pivot chair service or or another video product. Um, I think if there's going to be an increasing number of organizations that are trying to tie down talent and get first priority on talent, I think the first thing that I think about is this is a great time to be a wrestler, or at least a good wrestler, 
because there's more there's just more and more jobs now that pay you close to a living wage i know we hear stories about how how low the offers are for people to join nxt but it's it's a living wage at least uh and uh and you've got well competition's going to drive it up right so if you have the choice of ring of honor new japan maybe this AEW fed and wwe and impact to a smaller degree uh that's five places in the world you could be working and then plus you have europe plus you have cmll interplay so there's many places in the world there's probably five out there that are actually pretty hungry for english-speaking north american talent Mm -hmm. that are distinguishable and so that's going to be the hard part is like you have to have the edge because New Japan's not out there just hiring every every American they can find. You got to have something about you that makes you stand out. Mm-hmm. So either you're the most athletic, you're the highest flyer, you're the the biggest guy. You know, they've always loved the cowboy look. You see that with Adam Page and other people today um, that, you know, th- there's those certain things that are going to get you over. But uh, each of these promotions is looking for the guys that stand out just a little bit more. And so that's going to be the biggest key, I think, on this indie scene is trying to figure out who basically can make their name to get kind of that PWG type exposure. But what is it that they're doing to get that exposure? Right. So we were seeing MLW come up and start to sign people. Maybe maybe AEW will sign people. Maybe Ring of Honor will have some vacancies and some money to spend. Uh, I think it's going to be a good time to be a wrestler. But is it a good time to be a super indie promotion where you can barely get this talent? You could, you know, the, the people that you used to count on as being indie names who could draw you a few extra fans, well, they've got priority to MLW or whoever, so you can't get them, or maybe you book somebody, you know, months in advance, and so you're hoping you can get them for a big show, and then a few weeks before the show, oh, wait, my, my, my uh, more important gig came up, they need me for that, I gotta cancel, it sorry. Sounds like you're speaking from experience here. Maybe, maybe someone was supposed to be at ESW and they, they, they canceled on you? Like, like, sort of, like we, I know, like, uh, ESW and, and others, you know, they've, They've tried to book people and uh, especially being like a, I guess we're talking about super indies, but it's super indies as well. But like even like a, a tier below that, if you're trying to become a super indie, if you're like a strong uh, independent wrestling promotion that's established and you're trying to work your way up and become more successful and more well-known, it's really hard to get priority from talent because they have so many other higher priorities. Um, but yeah, I've, I've I've heard some things from some indie promoters lately about how it's it's going to be really hard, and people are just going to start taking the dollars that they used to spend to to uh, support their favorite local independent promotions or super indie promotions, and will use that money to support promotions like MLW, AEW instead. So, but, but the flip of that, what's the I answer? What's say, the answer? What do you do about that? Well, I, I say you Joey Janela it up. You look at a guy like Joey Janela. He went ahead and just said, I'm going to create movements. I'm going to create moments and I'm going to identify and I'm going to promote the hell out of it in a way that no one else is promoting. You know, when he started doing those video game themed promotions for his shows, it was viral videos. When he started saying, you know what, I'm going to put Virgil in this match. I'm going to put PCO in this thing. He figured it out and he saw the writing on the wall and he said, you know what, I'm going to make myself seem like I'm the hottest thing out there. I'm going to do it in the, I'm going to break all the rules. I'm going to run shows that start at midnight and go to four in the morning and are difficult to get to. And yet people trip over themselves to get to them. Right. And so I would argue that some of this comes from a lack of creativity of reading the tea leaves of where the professional wrestling world is today and saying, what's the next thing rather than saying, okay, how can I be just like every other super indie or how can I be just like WWE or how can I be just like NXT or ring of honor or whatever else? Like there is this element of like creative 
creative booking and, and desire that I think was being completely missed right now. So you're talking about concepts. I, I guess that's one element of it. Is I think you need to have vision. And I think that's the challenge is a lot of people are saying, what do I need to book to fill this arena versus what do I need to do to be so interesting that everyone else is going to say, God, I wish I was there. God, I was wish I was watching that. And, and in some ways, I think if you have the right taste, you say you book for yourself and the audience follows you. And that's really important. And I think that's what he's doing in some ways. And, you know, I wonder a lot about like Onita coming into what is it CCW in a little bit here where it's like I that has that ship sailed or is that is it still the right thing at the right time? Is this still what everyone is dying to see? You'll be there. And I, I was thinking about it. <laughs> I was thinking about it. Yep. And actually, the show sold out so fast that I couldn't. Oh, did it, it already sold. Yeah. So it, it, it's working. Yeah. So, I mean, now. I can't say each one of these ideas is money making. I can't say each one of these ideas is uh, uh, profitable because I think they're spending a lot to do it. But at the same way, I think PWG and other people were doing the same thing where you, you spend for concept sometimes. And so I, I, I do point the finger of blame a little bit at people trying to be a little bit too, um, you know, uh, uh, careful booking, careful, careful planning, do what's always been done which only puts you in the league with a thousand other independent promotions doing the exact same thing hmm. versus something doing it out of the box, thinking different ways. And it's not going to appeal to everyone in the same way. A hardcore promotion is not going to appeal to everyone. Same way. A silly promotion is not going to appeal to everyone. And I always feel like wrestling has to be the circus. Wrestling has to have the strong men, the clown, the sword swallower, the magician, and you know, the carny. And uh, there's plenty of those at the end of the day, carnies. Yes. Uh, but I, I think we need a little bit of everything else. And, um, at the same time, you have to also decide who your reach is and who your, your aim is because, you know, ESW drew 600, 700 fans there. I doubt any of them drove more than an hour and a half to get there. Yeah. I, I would Short agree. Of the wrestlers. I would agree with that. Um, and I, I agree with what you're saying there about being more creative and finding PWG gets people to fly in. Absolutely. I, so I, I agree with what you're saying about be more creative in the way that you market things and promote things and just the ideas that you have. And uh, I don't know. I, I guess I have sort of an optimistic view as someone who's not, doesn't have any financial stake in any, any pro wrestling promotion that I think even though let, let's say, let's say, you know, the concerns are right, that you're going to have less and less access to, to big name talent that's recognized around the world or around the country. I think even, even if that's the case, still independent wrestling in the last several years, has built up a credibility and awareness that's increasingly higher, higher than it's ever been before. And a lot of these promotions have built up really strong social media followings. Beyond Wrestling, for example, has 1 million YouTube subscribers. That's more than Ring of Honor. Uh, by I think like by it's double Ring of Honor or something. But There, uh, there has been some people questioning whether or not they're all real. Okay. Yes. Okay. Well, I, I think my point remains the same, though, that there have been brands that that over the last few years have built up strong credibility and, and strong awareness with a niche of wrestling fans. So even if they don't have the same access to the same level of talent that they used to, they still have a distribution platform to try to market to people with. Um, in the meantime, hopefully these promotions have invested in, in production to make their product look more palatable. And um, I think this is where I'm very biased, but I think, we need to invest more in, in local talent. And I think we're at an advantage now more so than wrestlers were when I started out where I, you know, I've, you know, 
I've heard a lot of stories about, you know, everyone has a story about starting out their training in some shitty backyard or something like that and then getting real better training later. And hopefully we're in a more connected world where if you have half a brain, it's easier for you to find a decent school than ever. And it's easier for you to connect with wrestlers who will actually show you how to work and how to operate yourself and conduct yourself as a, you know, as a successful professional wrestler. So hopefully there's a, a better avenue for creating good talent than ever. I know Joel Lanza from the Voices of Wrestling Flagship brings up this this point all the time about, and I don't know if, if he's revising it since all this is happening or not, but he he bring up this point about how the, the indies will, indie talent will never, you know, dry up. There's always, when all these people are going to get signed, there's always going to be somebody behind them who's going to be ready to go because the indies are just so deep with talent. Um, I would like to agree with that, but I, I do think if you remember that that article that I think Ryan Klingman wrote a, a couple of years ago, that was really thought provoking about how is is NXT uh, overfishing the indies to the point where the independent wrestlers won't have other experienced independent wrestlers to learn from and sort of you know reproduce with and become you know and create more and more good wrestlers. Um, I think there's a little bit of truth to that. I think there's still uh, enough good talent and enough good knowledge on the indies even now that wrestlers can become good wrestlers and i don't know hopefully we're doing our part in this region of the country to create good local talent that knows how to operate and feed the uh, the super indie system and climb the economic ladder of pro wrestling to become great pro wrestlers and to make wrestling even stronger and better there was a lot of the same discussion going on when it came to television and comedy and other things at the same time saying, oh, my God, the democ democratization of comedy is coming because soon anyone with a YouTube channel is going to be able to create content and people will find that content. People watch that content and that will be popular. And the idea of the, sh the tastemakers being only the people on television is going to fall away. And we have seen some of that in the sense that, like, there have been people who have come up with, um, you know, their own YouTube or social media content who have then got production deals. So, uh, I think a lot about, uh, insecure and, uh, with, with, uh, Issa Rae. And if I'm not mistaken, she started by having a YouTube series called awkward black girl. And like that, she basically got a production deal out of HBO from that and then went from there. And so you do see some of that where people are breaking out in that way. But at the same time, I'd say, changes a lot slower than what a lot of people thought was going to happen where they really thought oh man as soon as we have social media and anyone can be a star and anyone can be big all you have to do is be smart and it will it will it will you, people will find your content and it will be big and what we've really found is that it's still very much about marketing and to a degree it's about outrage because you, you there's also this element of outrage provokes clicks and creates a cycle. And so the idea that Facebook would democratize everything really didn't work in the sense that instead what they found was whatever got you the most riled up, that tended to get the most engagement. And so if you have a system that's based on engagement, a lot of times the easiest way to get engagement is to just to provoke people. And so you're not actually trying to say, let's give you better information. Let's give you more thought provoking discussions as much as either let's feed your biases or let's challenge you in a way that makes you angry so that you can use this as the lever. You know, I, I saw people flipping out about, you know, the Charlie Brown specials are racist and they're getting all angry about that saying, I can't believe people are fighting about this now. And I was like, 
So you're upset because you found someone on Twitter who doesn't like this. And then you're using this as your platform to basically generate clicks so that other people will just click on the say, I can't believe someone has this opinion. That's wrong. I'm even more angry. And just like you're allowing yourself to be part of this process of of using outrage as a, as a system to create engagement, which the, creates monetization and creates kind of the, the system. So I, I just think that that's the challenge is that a lot of times the the belief was the cream of the crop rises to the top. And that's not actually the way most of these systems are built. A lot of times they're built on basically saying, how can you get more engagement? And that engagement can almost be done in such a way where suddenly you start peeling back the veneer and you say, oh my God, almost nobody makes money on YouTube. The only people making money on YouTube is the small group of creators who then oftentimes move to the same area of, of Southern California and are put in these incubators and are basically put into situations where they can make this money. And then they're given the influencers and they're given these other kind of things that are happening to them. And hey, they all end up being these kind of good looking white people in, in this certain situation. It's not really democratized. It's still a form of kind of uh, uh, elitism that being expressed through through mass media. And that there are sometimes really powerful groups that are kind of shaping and molding and influencing and, and affecting kind of the algorithms that's going here and buying buying followers and buying numbers so I, it's just really funny to me where i think it's the same challenge and what, I, and, what's and the what's the revenue talk. what's what's the revenue driver there in, in all that insane manipulation and clickbaiting that's the challenge what's, that, what's the revenue know, where's I, revenue come from I, I i made the point yesterday i wish wwe had a non-profit arm you're, and i wish their non-profit arm was dedicated <laughs> to archiving you're not answering the question that I'm asking. Where I'm just saying, I wish there was a non-revenue driving force in the creative aspects of professional wrestling. That's what I'm trying to say. I wish that there was someone saying it's important for us to, to, to maintain old footage because it's a, it's a history that you're losing when you don't maintain it, even if it doesn't make you a penny on your WWE network service. And that's why WWE should be buying old tapes. And, and it's that same idea with pro wrestling, which is art, artists collectives. It's really hard to promote people to do out of the box thinking things when it's mon when the monetization isn't there. And so all in was a great example of someone saying, basically, you know what? We're going to price our tickets so low that we probably are actually aren't covering the cost of talent. And to a degree, they might have made it back between the sponsorships and the advertising and the eye pay per view. But all in all, they put up a big risk for themselves because they were basically more interested on focusing on this advertisement for this idea and for producing this idea than they were necessarily getting every penny from every person. Mm -hmm. Because it was good for their careers. I think it was run all in for their careers. I think they also had a, a deep rooted chip on their shoulder. And I think that's the thing that's going to drive a lot of people forward in this new world is you got to have a chip on your shoulder that says I was overlooked and I was underappreciated. And this is why I'm so great. Mm -hmm. And you have to go out there. And that's always been the style of person that tends to rise above the crop. I don't know. The point I was trying to get earlier, which I was trying to make you say is that when, when, I think when we have economies that are so driven by advertising, it creates a manipulative world that, uh, you know, where, where we, we are more concerned with driving people's emotions than with informing them well i don't know what that has to do with wrestling but okay it, it's very possible it's very true and i i think that challenge is that you know i'm not going to join socialist brandon howard p thurston uh and go around telling everyone that they should be doing this for the betterment of society and have artists collectives but i i think when you ask me about what can we do I, I do wish that we, uh, you know, I wish that we dedicated more money towards the preservation of the art of wrestling than we did towards the monetization of wrestling. So WrestleNomics version two, 
will be about the preservation of the art of wrestling. It will be, it will be wrestle, wrestle, wrestle aesthetics or something like that. We'll, we'll work out a name afterward. I, I, I think one of the, the rejected names of wrestle at one time was like grapple compost, like, like the Latin grapple compost, like calculation of grappling numbers, but, uh, the, the, but the theocracy of it too. Grapple but no, uh, wrestle nomics version too. Yes. You bring up the, the point. Uh, I'm going to put the Patreon on pause. This is not, this is not Brandon's choice. This is my choice. And uh, Brandon is welcome to continue the Patreon, but unfortunately, uh, he won't have somebody else talking half the time. So there'll be these long pauses in the middle where he gets up and, and makes coffee and, and comes back. And by half the time, you mean ninety five percent of the time. But I've I've, I've considered um, just uh, yeah, I, I I may or may not do Patreon episodes that just, that just include me uh, and and my float free flowing thought stream of consciousness, but. But I probably, I'd consider that, but maybe I won't do that. But, uh, no, we're going to pause the Patreon for now. The WrestleNomics, we're going to do WrestleNomics Premium today. This is, this is the radio. This is the free. We're going to do Premium today. And that's going to be the last of the free or last of the premium for now, right? Just for December. I need, I need a break in December. I got some plans coming up. Um, I, I can announce here I'm going to go to Japan. I'm going to go see Russell Kingdom. Mm hmm. And so uh, I got to plan a little bit for my life to make sure that I can take off kind of two weeks to spend a week with my family and then in Rochester and then spend a week in Japan. Um, and actually, I think Big Dave might be there, too. Ooh. Yes, I think Mr. Meltzer might be coming. Not that we plan this together, but uh, I, I just read recently that he is going to go. Oh, that's right. And, uh, He's been talking so I'm about very, for a while. I'm very excited about that. But I'm also very cognizant that that means I got to make sure I get my house in order in December here. And so I'm just more and more becoming concerned about the production of a high quality show and ironically i'm concerned about this probably six days a week 23 hours a day and every week brandon says don't worry about it we will have enough to talk about and yet i am terrified that i won't we always do do you remember that show where we didn't have enough to talk about which which one was that episode 42 42 uh no no um so uh, i i want to i want to take a little bit of the burden off me by only doing one show a week and i don't feel right asking people to pay for the show that we do if i don't feel that we're able to give 100 percent to it every every week so i'm going to put the show on pause um and what i'd say to people is if you sub- support wrestlenomics there's a lot of really other good patrons out there the voices of wrestling patron is really good the between the sheets patron is really good uh you can go find independent creators you know kicking it with uh khaleesi i think someone like that is doing really fun interesting stuff kelsey kelsey Kelsey. Well, I like to say Khaleesi. I you you like to pronounce words however you, you wish. I know. Uh, the, the show buckle guy. I think he does incredible oh, yeah. work. Um, you know, there's so many people doing really cool stuff. And I would I would say, I hope you go and support them. Um, I so, would also consider bringing the Patreon back as a paper post um, where, you know, you you only pay if we do something. But if we do that, we got to move people onto a new tier system. And I and that's, that's a transition I want to make sure people have time to really think about. So if I'm a subscriber right now, just so they know, you're going to put it on pause. They're they're going to be charged for the end of this month, but they will not be charged for December because it's going to be on pause. They don't need to cancel. if They can cancel if they want, but they don't need to, right? I think that's how it works. Yes, they, they won't be they won't be charged for 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 content we don't create. I don't know whether you get charged for the upcoming month or you've been charged for the prior month. I don't remember how exactly it works. Mm-hmm. Okay, maybe we'll sort that out and we'll explain that better on the premium yeah. show. 
I wish I wish we knew better. I wish we knew a little bit more. But um, also, just I'm just really hesitant knowing that I'm going to be traveling for two weeks. I just don't know if I can commit to doing shows at the right time. But I'd love to talk about my trip to Japan, and I'd love to have another bet with, with Brandon Howard Thurston where the loser has to eat a blueberry cobbler. That looks uh, really uh, good, and that, that is not carried at my Wegmans. But, uh, but we're still going to do this free show. This isn't going away. No, it's not. And, and we have some sponsors coming up this month uh, on the free show, so we want to make sure that you do listen to the free show and that you do uh, engage with our sponsors as we get them. And, and uh, we're, we're going to make sure that our ad-driven show continues to uh, provoke your emotions more than ever so that you continue to click on our podcast and listen to it. You know how it is. Uh, on today's premium show, we're going to talk about WrestleMania Weekend Overkill, uh, some New Japan stats, WWE stock, um, talk maybe a, a preview. George Berrios is going to give a talk soon. We'll talk a little bit about Mookie going to Japan and, and maybe a little bit about Tiger versus Phil. Yeah. Golf. Pay-per-view pay golf. Wow. You know, you know, we always bring it on WrestleMomics. It's uh, Tiger versus Mickelson. Only on pay-per-view. And you can find Brandon at Ilio DePaglio. Cupwinner.net. You can follow me on Twitter Please. at Brandon Thurston. You can follow me on Instagram. Wrestling Twitter is dead. Long live wrestling Instagram. Follow me on Instagram at Farmer underscore Thurston. Thanks, everybody. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye.